0: Well, Genesis 27, we're looking at Isaac, and Isaac, you'll remember last week, was faithful in some critical areas of his life. He really starts out pretty well, but what we're going to find this morning is he's going to be disobedient in one area of his life, and this disobedience in this area of life is going to... Wreak havoc on this home. It's going to create an incredibly dysfunctional situation. And really, this text is a good Father's Day message because it speaks to the importance of a godly man leading his home in submission to Christ and God's Word. And it really teaches to us the consequences of a man who gets off base. And you need to know this this morning. If you're a husband, if you're a father, Satan has his sights set on you because he knows if I can get that man who's intended to be the head. If I can get him off base, I can mess with the whole family. And that's what we're going to see here. So this speaks directly to men. So ladies, no nudging your husband this morning, all right? Let God work on him. Uh, but really the text, the principle, the larger principle of this text is, is applicable to all of our lives because we're going to see a man right here who thinks, he thinks that I can disobey God and still get the blessing. That I can disobey God in this one area of my life and I can go around God and I can outsmart God and I can still get the blessing. And you know the principle we're going to find out again? God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he'll also reap. And there's hope in this text too because God is, hey, God is a God of, uh, of redemption. Dysfunctional family, but God loves redeeming sinners. And his purposes will not be stopped. And he's going to bring about redemption in this family, and his purposes will continue. So with that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we pray that you would enliven it to us today by the power of your spirit. We know that this is no ordinary book. This is the living word of God. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to drown out anything that would distract us at this moment from hearing your voice. God, speak to us, change us, correct us, discipline us, encourage us. Whatever we need this morning, make your word alive, change us as we hear your voice. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, look with me at verses 1 through 4. It says there, now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. And let me just stop right there. there. There's so much in this text we could Uh, I I think it's best we try to take these chapters as a whole because the story needs to be preached that way, I think. Uh, So we're going to try to bite off the whole chapter this morning. There's some things we just can't go into with great detail. But there is a point here uh, that you need to see. You see here with Isaac, his eyes are growing dim. He is maturing age-wise, but he's not maturing spiritually. Just because you get older doesn't mean you become more holy. That's a choice you make. And his eyes are growing dim. It made me think of, there's another time in Scripture. Can you recall another man in Scripture who turns a blind eye to the disobedience of his boys, and his eyes begin to grow dim, and it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. You remember that individual? Eli, in the days of Samuel, So you got men here. When it talks about their eyes growing dim, it means that the truth of God's word is no longer guiding their life. And what we're going to see here is Isaac is not being guided by the truth of God's word. He's being guided by his flesh. And it will not lead him to obedience and blessing. It's going to lead him to disobedience and a whole mess of trouble. Well, look with me, verse 2. Isaac said, Behold now, I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your, your your gear and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. So here is... Uh, Isaac and Isaac clearly understands what God's will is. We we talked about it already previously that you remember Rebecca was pregnant, she's in pain, she prays to God, why am I in pain? And and God says to her, It's not because you got one, it's because you got not just one child, you got two, and they're two nations, and you remember God sovereignly declares the older will serve the younger. So God has sovereignly declared that Jacob will receive the blessing and he will be the one through whom the promise will come. And Isaac knows God's word. He knows God's will. Not only knows it, he sees it. Esau is an immoral man who has no desires for the things of the the spirit. He's marrying Hittite wives And yet here is Isaac and he's determined, I don't care what God has said, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I just so happen to like this boy and I think I'm going to go ahead and give the blessing to him. That I'm going to do whatever I want to do and I'm going to disobey God and think that somehow it's going to work out well for me. Now the question is, why would he do this? Why would, why would Isaac act in such blatant, blatant disobedience to what he knows God has clearly revealed? Well, we've seen it already. You remember it says that uh, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. And here in this passage, we see it again. You see it in verse 4, prepare for me a savory dish, such as I love. In verse 9, a savory meal. Rebecca's talking a savory meal, such as he loves. In verse 14, savory food, such as his father loved. What does this man really love? He loves to eat. And then it's... It's really intended to be laughable. That's what one commentator said. You're intended to laugh at this, that a man would disobey God because he liked spicy soup. But but really the bottom line, the greater principle, is that, that he would disobey God because of his flesh. And you read this and you say, How dumb does that guy have to be? I mean, that's ridiculous. And if we're not careful, we'll start to think to ourselves, I'd never do something like that. And yet every day, men or women are walking away from God in blatant disobedience because of their flesh. And it may not be food, but it might be a love of material things or money or lust or a hobby. But whatever it is for you, the flesh gets in the way of your obedience to God. And you jeopardize everything that you hold dear in your life. I mean, we see this throughout Scripture. With Cain, it was envy. With Noah, it was wine. With Lot it was money, with Moses it was anger, with Isaac it's food, with someone else it might be laziness or pride, but every one of us has a flesh that we have to contend with and if we're not careful, just like Isaac, we'll start to fade and in a moment of weakness we'll jeopardize all that we hold dear in our life for a moment of pleasure in the flesh. And we see it happen far too often. So let me just stop here because I believe God wants to do business in all of our hearts. Let me just ask you right here at this moment, is there an area of your life where you're walking in blatant disobedience to God? And you know it. And it might be this morning that you're not walking in blatant disobedience, but you're thinking about it. And you're thinking about throwing away and jeopardizing everything you hold dear. For a moment of pleasure in the flesh. Listen to me, I'm not above it, and neither are you. You know, it's amazing to me. So many people that they ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Or what is God's direction for my life? Everybody's pursued. What is God's direction? What is God's will or, or what does he want to do? What is he leading me? Sometimes it's about jobs or where to live or who you're going to marry. And can I tell you the Bible spends very little time, as, I, as far as I see it, the Bible spends very little time dealing with those questions. The Bible spends very little time with where you are. But the Bible spends a whole lot of time with who you are. In other words, the Bible's more concerned with your character, your holiness, and your integrity, and your faithfulness than it is what job you take. And when it comes to your character, when it comes to who you are intended to be, the Bible's clear. Everybody's searching. You've heard it said, it's not the parts of God's Word that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand and don't obey. In the parts that really matter in your life, that really matter to your success, biblical success, The Bible's clear. The Bible tells us what kind of marriage we should have. There's no no fuzziness about it. You don't have to wonder. God put it right there. God tells you as a husband what kind of man you're supposed to be. The Bible tells you what kind of wife you're supposed to be. If you're an employee, it tells you what kind of employee. If you're single, God tells you about the holiness and character that you're supposed to have in your life. It tells you about what words should come out of your mouth. It tells you about what, what thoughts should go into your mind. The Bible's clear about those things. And the question is, do we really believe God? Do we believe that living according to his word and his will really is the best way to live life? Because I'm telling you, a lot of people, Satan in this world is speaking into your mind, telling you that that book is outdated, And there's a better way to find joy, and there's a better way to find happiness. You just got to disobey God. You got to cut corners. And if you'll disobey God, somehow we fool ourselves into thinking that in the end, it will work out well for us. That it may not have worked out well for them. Well, I I can cheat on my wife or do whatever and mess around over here. And it may not have worked out for somebody else, but it'll work out good for me. Or I can lie and deceive people over here, and it may not have worked out well for somebody else, but I can outsmart God. And I can go around God in this area, I can beat the system, and it'll work out well for me in the end. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God has rigged this deal. There is only one way to true joy, true happiness, true and biblical success, and true and biblical spiritual blessing And it's in obedience to his holy word. And you can do it. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. You can do it however you want to do it. Just don't expect God to bless it. And God is not mocked. You can't outsmart him. Sin always leads to the same place. Trembling tears, and a whole lot of grief and regret. And Isaac's going to learn that lesson. Now, the question that we have here, (laughs) is God going to change his mind about the plan? Is God going to look at Esau and say, boy, I understand you really like that soup, so I think I'll just change my whole divine plan and we'll just pass the blessing on to Esau. We're just going to change the whole deal Because Isaac really likes spicy soup. No. No, I'm not changing my plan. I'm going to change you. Well, let's look at, well, how does Rebekah and Jacob do? Look at verses 5 through verse 13. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying... Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to, to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my brother's a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and then I'll be as a deceiver in his sight, and I'll bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So you see here, Jacob and Rebekah, while, the, while they want the spiritual blessing that God has commanded, so they want good spiritual things, they're going to seek to attain them by less than honest means. And the principle that you see here is they are just as disobedient as daddy Isaac is, just in a different way. That the ends don't justify the means. What Rebecca should have done is just trust to God. That she should have learned. She should have known. Grandpa Abraham has taught us Jacob. We don't have to help God out in fulfilling his purposes. We're just going to trust God. We're just going to be faithful. I don't know how it's going to work out. It's getting kind of scary because it looks like he's going to get the blessing to Esau. But we have learned nothing is impossible with God. And God always fulfills his purposes. And imagine what would have been reported about Rebecca if she had just trusted God. Imagine how the story might have changed. Uh, But Rebecca's not going to trust God. And I feel bad for Rebecca because she's in a bad place because her husband is being disobedient. And I can't imagine, ladies, what it's like for you sometimes to say, I don't know what to do here because my husband's not leading us as he ought to lead us. And I put a lot of blame on Isaac because he's put his wife, Rebecca, in a bad spot. But she is no less accountable for her sin. And she assumes the spiritual leadership of the home. It's a sad deal. I mean, you look in, in verse 8. It says, now, therefore, my son, listen to me. This is, men, this is a bad place when your wife goes to your children and say, we can't listen to daddy anymore because he's gone rogue. He's disobedient. So now you're going to have to listen to me. That's a bad place for the home. And then you look down further, really sadder than that is in verses 12 through 13. You remember Jacob says, mom, the plan sounds good, but I'm smooth. Esau, my brother, says, Harry, dad's going to know. And what does Rebecca say in verse 13? But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. You see what Rebecca's doing here? She's saying, Jacob, we're going to do what God has commanded And if there's a curse, if there's a price to be paid, then I'll take the hit. And men, that ought to grieve our hearts because that's our job. Our job as men is to look at our wives and our children and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow God. And if there's a price to be paid, if there's a hit to be taken, we will take the hit. That is our job as men. Say, we'll lay down our lives, but we're not going to compromise. We're going to follow God. And here you see a wife, because of a disobedient husband, has now having to take the spiritual reins of the home. She's in a bad place. And she wants God's will for her son. But she's going about it in disobedient ways, in less than honest means. And she's accountable. And let this be a lesson to us. Just because you want spiritual things in your life doesn't mean that you can go about getting them by any means you want. See, what what Rebecca's doing, she's doing the way, she's going the way of the world. The world says you gotta assert yourself. You gotta push whoever you gotta push to get out of the way to get what you want. You know, the, the nice guys finish last. You got to assert yourself. Take what is rightfully yours. Don't let anybody push you over. That's the way of the world. What is God's way? God's way is for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God's way is I've been crucified with Christ and yet I live not I but Christ who lives within me. God's way is therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. God's way is, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. God's way is Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider a quality of God a thing to be grasped or clung to, but he made himself nothing he emptied himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is God's way. You die to yourself. You die to your own dreams. You die to your own plans. And you be faithful to God and let him win the day. And that's what Rebecca should have done. We're grieved for her. We feel for her pain. She's in a bad spot. But listen to me. Just because you're in a bad spot today doesn't mean that you can be disobedient to right where God has placed you. You be faithful. The Bible's not concerned with where you are. It's concerned with who you are. In your moment right now, are you being faithful to God? Well, look with me. Let's see how this goes. Verses 14 through 29. It says, it says in verse 14, So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on, on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit, eat of my game, that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have, you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Boy, that breaks my heart right there. He is lying to get blessing And he's giving God the credit. Boy, the level of depravity in this young man that God will have to break him of. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. So he blessed him. And by the way, as you watch this, it's sad. It's intended to be sad. Isaac is not leaning upon the Spirit of God to guide him. It's all about his senses. It's about his flesh. What is guiding him? What is guiding him is what he feels, what he can touch. What is guiding him is what he can hear. What is guiding him is what he what he tastes. He is not being guided by the Spirit of God and focusing on the things that are unseen. He's trusting upon his own senses. And your senses, what you feel and touch and see, will get you into trouble. We're to be led by the Spirit of God. He's not being led by the Spirit of God. In in fact, you see it. He's skeptical. He's he's not sure about this. There's several times here where he questions. But he's going with what he touches, what what he smells what he tastes. Verse 24, and he said, are you really my son? And he said, I am. Verse 25, and he, so he said, bring it to me that I, that I will eat of my son's game and I'll, I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he had smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. It's like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. May people may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and you, may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Now if you stop right here and there's so much we could go into about the promise being pronounced on Jacob but, but just in, in terms of the point we're looking at, If you stop right here at this moment, every person in the story thinks that they have won. And listen, this is the way that sin and disobedience often works. It feels like it's working out for you for a season of time. It feels like you're outsmarting God and you're getting that blessing by disobedient means. And right here, everybody in the story, they're kind of chuckling to themselves. I mean, think about it. Isaac, he's thinking, I did it. I passed a blessing on to Esau. I outsmarted God and got what I wanted in my own disobedience. And he's probably chuckling to himself. And what about old Esau? He's bra- dragging back some deer carcass, getting ready to make a stew. And he's like, hey, I won. I got it. Old Jacob didn't deceive me this time. I'm getting that blessing. He's probably laughing to himself. Jacob, he's in the back room taking off the hair of his arms and all the garment he's put off, and he's laughing to himself. Oh, mama, boy, she came up with a plan, and we got old daddy. And Rebecca's thinking to herself, boy, how smart am I? I was able to fool my husband. I deceived my own husband and got him to do what God said he would do and what I wanted him to do. They all, at this moment, they think they have won. And more often than not, your sin and disobedience for a period of time will feel like it's bringing blessing. See, God doesn't oftentimes, when you sin, he doesn't oftentimes just strike you dead with a bolt of lightning, which is what I would do if I were God. But God just lets you go for a little while, doesn't he? He doesn't often drop you dead like he did Ananias and Sapphira. He just lets it go. We'll we'll let it go for a little bit until what happens? Well, look at verses 30 through 40. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father and he said to his father, "Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me." Isaac his father said to him, "Who are you?" And he said, "I'm your son, your firstborn Esau." Then Isaac trembled violently, folks. That is that moment when you think you've gotten away with it, but all of a sudden your sin finds you out. And Isaac trembles violently. And he said, who, is, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, he shall be blessed. Isaac's wising up that you can't mock God. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants, And with grain and new wine, I've sustained him. Now, as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother shall you serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you'll break his yoke from your neck. How'd it work out? Not good. This is where sin always leads you. Isaac trembles, and Esau is crying and wailing. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Look in verses 41 through 46, it doesn't go well for Jacob and Rebekah either. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of his blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I'll send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? It doesn't work out well for Jacob and Rebekah either. Rebecca sends Jacob away. She's going to send him to her brother Laban. And guess how long Jacob's going to be gone? 20 years. And Rebecca will never see her favorite son again. And Jacob, Jacob is on the run. And he's going to miss out so, on so much of the, the joy and the blessings and the peace that come from a life that is just trusting in God. Now the hope that we find in this is that while this is one dysfunctional family, you got a disobedient daddy, you got a domineering wife, you got a deceitful son, and you got a son that despises all the things of God. I mean... He, you talk about a mess. You know, you know what you find as you read the Word of God? You find a whole bunch of dysfunctional families. But do you know what else you find? You find a God who loves redeeming individuals and families for His own glory. And this is good news because I think there's some of you that are sitting here today saying, My family's not the epitome of harmony today. And maybe you're thinking, my family feels a whole lot like Isaac and Rebecca. I'm here to tell you there is hope today. Because God's purposes will not be stopped. And God is going to work in Isaac's life and he's going to work in Jacob's life. And they will know the blessing of God. And you can know the blessing. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what family you come from. I don't know what you're going through, but there's hope for you today. But you know how you get it? You get it the same way Isaac is eventually going to get it, and you're going to get it the same way Jacob is going to get it. Eventually, no matter where you're at today, you've got to humble yourself before God. And you've got to humble yourself and submit under the holy truth of God's word and will. Isaac is going to be humbled. You see it here. He even says in verse 34, Jacob will be blessed. He's learning. And he's finally going to be honest with Esau, which he should have done all along. He's learning. And Jacob will be humbled. He's on the run. He's going to have to run a little further, though, before he finally runs out of himself. He's going to keep deceiving. He's still seeking the spiritual things of God, but he's doing so by deceitful means. And he's going to run up against another deceiver named Laban. But finally, he'll run out of himself and he's going to meet up with somebody he can't deceive, which is God. And he'll wrestle with God. And he'll be humbled. And it will be in his humility that God will then be able to use him. He's going to walk forward with a limp. Remember, we're going to look at it. It's one of my favorite stories. And the hope there is that God loves raising up limping sinners. Who have humbled themselves before him and then using them in powerful ways. And there's some of you that are in this room this morning and you don't know Christ. You've never trusted in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And over the past couple of weeks, I've had interaction with, with two individuals who don't know the Lord And as I encountered them, and in the midst of studying these things, you know what I found? I found two individuals that they think they're going to outsmart God. (laughs) They think they're smarter than God. They got all the answers. You ever encountered somebody like that? No matter what I throw at them, boy, they got an answer. I got an answer for everything. I got it all figured out. I'm smarter than God. I'm going to go around God, and I'm going to get the blessing. They think they can disobey God. They think they can thumb their nose at God, go around God, and they think that somehow it's going to work out well for them in the end. Listen to me this morning if that is you. There is only one way to God. Jesus is not just some beautiful thing you can opt for. He is the way to God because he's in keeping with the truth of God, and therefore he alone is the bestower of life. And you can't go around him and get the blessing. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess. In other words, everybody's going to be humbled before God one day. And the question is, will you humble yourself before God today and know his salvation, his peace and forgiveness and the joy of walking in humble submission to God Almighty? Or are you going to reject him and spend an eternity away from him in a place called hell? But Christ will be glorified, whether in your salvation or your separation from him forever in hell but he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's no getting around him. You can't outsmart God. Secondly, some of you in this room this morning, you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've bent the knee, but you know today you're walking in blatant disobedience. In some area of your life, you know what God has clearly revealed in that area, but somehow you bought into a lie of the Satan. You followed your flesh, and you think that I'm going to attain the blessing through disobedience. And I just want to shake you this morning and plead with you. There's a way that seems right unto man, but it leads to destruction every single time. And I don't know what it would cost you today to turn back to Christ. Because the good news is, no matter where you're at today, if you'll turn to Jesus, there's grace and there's forgiveness. He's right there waiting for you. Isn't that good news? We're going to look at it in a few weeks in the prodigal son. Not only is he looking for you, he will run to you. That's what you see throughout God's Word. When a person just demonstrates the least little bit of repentance and turning back to Christ, God runs to him and embraces them. But you also know if you turn, there's going to be some consequences. If you own up to your sins, sometimes there's consequences. And sometimes it's painful. And there's some things that you're going to have to give up in your life. And I just want to tell you today, whatever you give up, whatever that sacrifice it is, There's nothing, there's nothing that compares with the ability to lay your head on the pillow tonight knowing that you are walking in fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus. There's nothing like the peace of knowing that you've come clean before God and you're seeking to walk in fellowship with Him. I think it was David Livingston who said, I'd rather live in the remotest parts of Africa with nothing and be in the center of God's will than to sit on the throne of England and be outside of it. I'm just challenging you today. As Carrie sang earlier, come home. What's holding you back? There's a God of grace, there's a God of redemption. But if you continue down that path, it may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow. But that path eventually leads to tears, to trembling, and a whole lot of regret. Come home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that shakes us and warns us about the dangers of sin God, I just pray for anybody this morning that doesn't know you. I don't know where they're at. They're watching online. I don't know know every person in this room. You do, God. But God, if if they don't know you, maybe they've been walking in pride and arrogance thinking that they know better than you. Thinking that I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to disregard God and somehow it's going to work out well for me in the end. God, I pray that you would do a supernatural work of revealing the depth of their own sin and showing them the beauty of Christ who died on a cross for their sins. And God, I pray today they would humble themselves before you. They'd submit their life to Christ and they would know your joy. They'd know your peace. They'd know your forgiveness. Know the joy of walking in fellowship with you and know the joy of knowing that no matter what happens to them in this world, their eternal destination is secure because of faith in Christ. God, I want to pray for anybody here this morning that's either walking in blatant sin, just like Isaac. They know what the Word of God says, but they've just decided, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Or maybe they haven't yet taken that step, but they're thinking about it. God, I pray that today they'd be awakened to the danger of that path and they would repent. They'd change the direction they're headed in they turn from their sins and they turn to you. And God, you'd wrap your arms of love around them and they would know the joy of fellowship with you today. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.